okay too? Praise the Lord. Um, I got to say, when I saw the song, normally this is our song of the month for January, and I saw it again today, and I was like, this is awesome, but I need to make sure this wasn't a misprint. And so I, I, I told uh, Emily, our new administrative assistant, I was like, double check to see if this is the song and just not like a copy and paste. And she was like, no, no, that's it. That's, that's the song. And I was like, yes. Um, certain songs hit you differently, amen? Like, you know, some of us just have songs that hit us differently, and that's okay. I'm not saying, like, this song is better than all uh, the songs that we've sung before. I'm just saying this song just hits me differently. Because when you reflect on the goodness of the Lord, um, especially, you know, as I go through my life, as I think through the Rolodex of my life, I reflect on the goodness of the Lord. So many of the themes um, in this song come out, and we'll see it again uh, even today as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes um, so turn there, uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter, oh my goodness. You know when you're so used to saying something one way, trying to retrain your brain to say it another way is like difficult, so difficult, but I'm working on it, I'm working on it. So let's turn to the book, chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, and uh, this is a part 2, and I'll explain that a little bit after we read God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. God seeks what has been driven away. The law of flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, um, this is your word, and these are your people. And it is my prayer that you might unite the two now. Lord, your word is powerful and wonderful and beautiful 
things that it says and the way it reveals the content of our heart, the way it has the power to cut and heal, to make us sad, but yet cause for rejoicing. I pray that even now as we hear your word proclaimed, that our hearts may be stirred to love you more and to trust you more. And so now, Father, I pray that what we ask not, you give. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us by the power of your spirit and for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. For the benefit of those that were not here last week, we're doing, um, this is the second part of a two-part look at the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And one of the reasons why I think I did two parts or why I decided to do two parts is because the content of this passage is far too important for us just to breeze over. And one of the things that I mentioned last week is uh, Solomon in, in, and I believe it's Solomon, by the way, in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, talks to us about the seasons in our lives, and he delineates what those are, or or the things that happened in our lives between birth and death, and and between uh, planting and and taking up what is planted, and killing and healing and breaking down. All those indicate that there are seasons in life. Those are observations, okay, that he makes. But then after he makes these observations, he goes down, and he gives us four wise sayings, or four pieces of wisdom that we use to interpret the various seasons in our life. And we looked at two of them last week. The first one that we looked at is found in verse number 11. The fact that God exercises absolute sovereignty in our lives. He is the one that makes everything beautiful in its time. Not us, not by our effort, not by what what we do, but purely by what he does. He makes everything beautiful in its time. That's that's the awesome testimony of Scripture. What that means is that we ought to trust him because he's the one that's responsible for making everything beautiful in its time. Then notice the second truth that we gave in verse number 11, that he put eternity in our hearts. And one of the things we said about that is this, that because God places eternity in our hearts, that means that you and I don't have all the answers. That those answers are informed by God. And in fact, because we don't have all the answers, we are meant to reach for eternity, especially those seasons in our lives that are particularly difficult, what we call without cause moments. Those are the times where we go before the Lord and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing in the here and now. I have no clue what's happening, but I'm simply going to trust you because you've placed eternity into my heart. And and in doing so, you want me to reflect and go back to you. So those were the two things that we looked at. And today we're going to look at the other two. And the other two is seen in the statements I perceive. So notice in verse number 12, Solomon says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. That's the first thing. And then in, in, in verse number 14, it says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Those are the last two things that we're going to look at today. So everybody got that? Everybody good? That's a brief recap so we could bring everybody in the same place. And now let's look at the final 
two bits of wisdom that Solomon gives us. First, he says in verse number 12 and 13, if I could summarize it this way, Solomon says this. He says that the best thing for us to do, as he perceives it, is to live a life full of joy and, and take advantage of the life that God has given us. And notice he says, I perceive. If, if you are the kind of person that writes in your Bible or maybe makes little notations, I want you to underline that, and I want you to put next to it something that Solomon has observed over and over and over again. That's what he's given us here, experiential wisdom. Now, I'm still a, a fairly young guy, and, and I at times wish that I had more experience in an area or not, uh, but Solomon is saying here, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit older. In fact, I'm, I'm old, right? And I'm, and I'm interpreting life for you. And so his wisdom here is that as I perceive it, as I've experienced it, the best thing that you can do is to enjoy the season of life that you're in right now and not wish for another life or to be somewhere else. Uh, let me give you an example of this. I'll never forget, I was, um, I had just gone into seventh grade. And in the Bahamas, uh, they, you know, they, the divisions of grades is verse 1 through 6 is elementary, and verse 7 through eight, through 12 is considered high school. So just to give you a little outline of, of the school that I went to. So I went into seventh grade, and as you could imagine, I was like at the bottom of the totem pole, okay? And going into seventh grade, I was a little nervous. And so I remember going into seventh grade thinking, oh, I'm a bit nervous, but hey, this is still exciting. I'm going to a new school. I'm going to make new friends. This is going to be awesome. And so it took me a little bit to get to my classroom, the classroom that I was in, but I was one of the last people that were there. And so I walked in, and I saw a seat, and I was like, great, I have a seat. So I ran to the back of the seat, and I sat down, and lo and behold, right on the side of me was a friend from elementary school. His name was Ricky. And I'm like, this is great. I go to a new school, I, I, you know, I have all these new experiences, but I have a familiar friend, his name is Ricky. So I looked at Ricky and I turned around, it's like, hey buddy, how's it been, how's your summer? And Ricky immediately burst into tears. And, and I couldn't tell if it was because of me, you know, like, hey, you know, I went to a new school, I'm trying to escape Dennis, and here he is right on the side of me now. But, but, but I, I immediately looked at him and said, Ricky, what's going on? He said, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. I have six more years in school. Think of all the tests we have to take. Think, think, of all, you know, think of all the quizzes that we have to take. This guy's lamenting the reality that he's in seventh grade. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is a bummer. I came in here excited to start seventh grade. And this guy's like bringing me down, you know. But, but let me say this. Ricky is kind of a metaphor of how sometimes we treat the seasons in our lives. Isn't it true that whenever we start a season in our life, we always kind of wish things were a little different? Isn't it the case that no matter what season we are in our lives, we always wish that we were at the next phase? Like I remember before I got married, I was thinking, man, I wish I was married. Then I got married. And I was like, oh, man, it would be great if we had a couple of kids. And we got kids. And I was like, man, I wish our kids were out of diapers, and then all of a sudden, they're out of diapers. And now I'm like, man, I wish these kids were out of the house. And one day, guess what? 
I love my life. I don't like wish that right now. By the way, let me do let me let me say this. I will be a ball of tears when they do leave. I tell you that right now. But but that's not the point I'm making. The point that I'm making is this. Don't miss the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is this. That that I always want the next season because I'm not really satisfied with the season that I have now. That's the point Solomon is making in verse number 12 and 13. Notice he says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them. Who's the them? Us. The people that he talks about, the worker that he talks about in verse number 9. He says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to do what? Than to be joyful and to do good and to enjoy everything that they have as a gift from God. In other words, Solomon is saying, the best thing you can do for your life right now is to enjoy the season that you're in and stop looking toward the other season or stop longing for the season that you might have had in the past that was really good. That's in essence what he's saying. And man, sometimes we find ourselves in, in, in that exact place that he's talking about discontent with where God has us now, always wanting to be in a different season. Now, notice the progression here that Solomon takes with this, and it's, it's really profound. You might be sitting there and saying, Pastor Dennis, I, I'm, I, that's me. I'm not content with the season I'm in. I'm, I wish, man, I wish I was here. I wish I had this. I wish I was married or in a relationship, or maybe I wish I had kids, or maybe I wish I, 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 was in, I had a different job, or I wish I was out of college and kind of starting myself. I'm always reaching for the next season. How do I learn to remain in the season I'm in and serve the Lord? He actually already tells us, and it's found in verse number 11. See, in order for us to truly be content in the season that we're, we're, we're in, Solomon says, first of all, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God that he has made everything beautiful in his time and we have to trust in the wisdom of God that he has put eternity in our hearts and there are certain things that we are going through right now in this season that we absolutely positively need before we go to the next season. Hear me today. Here's what Solomon is saying in essence. If you, right, us, we, me, whoever, if we don't learn to trust in the absolute sovereignty of God in the midst of our situations, then there's no way we can truly be happy in the situation that we're in. Because notice, he says after that, that, hey, there's nothing better than for us to be joyful. Okay? Now, here's the question that I have for you. Are you trusting in the sovereignty of God in this situation in your life? Are you? Do you really believe where you are right now in your life, where God has you, the experiences that you're having, the, the, the things that you're going through, this is the best possible scenario or the best possible thing that God has for you to go through right now? Do you really believe that? You know, I had a friend. I was talking to him about the sovereignty of God. And he confessed to me that he, he hated the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Now, for those of you that don't know, the sovereignty of God simply means that God has the right and authority to do whatever he wants to do over his creation. 
and, and the doctrine of God's providence is how he works that out in everyday life. So that's why we talk so much about the doctrine of God's sovereignty and the doctrine of God's providence, because they kind of work together in your life for your good. And so as I was talking to him about the sovereignty of God, he confessed to me that he hated the doctrine because the doctrine produced in him all sorts of fear. And I said, well, why are you afraid? He said, to be quite honest, God can do whatever he wants with me, and I have no say in it. And what he didn't say that I later realized was behind the things that he was saying is that he viewed God as a despotic king who ruthlessly exercises his will in his life. He viewed God as someone who wants to punish him at every turn. He viewed God as someone who wasn't interested in his happiness. But may I remind you about the character of God in Exodus 34, 6 through 7? Uh, God, when he revealed himself, said this, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions. In other words, God's thoughts toward you are always good for your health and for your salvation. Man, far from being a despotic king, far from being a king that wants evil for you, God is loving. And by the way, this should bring us a sense of peace and comfort in the sovereignty of God. Not, not a sense of fear. Not a sense of fear. You know, when I was growing up, you know, people always often used to joke around and say, well, don't give your life over to God because he'll send you in the back of somewhere, you know, like Papua New Guinea. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I know a couple people here that grew up in Papua New Guinea, and they were just fine, right? But when I was growing up, the fear was if you gave your life over to the Lord, you won't be happy. If you trusted in the sovereignty of God, God will make you miserable. That's a lie. It's a lie that Satan wants us to believe. The reality of the Bible and what Solomon is saying here is this. When you trust in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, notice all the things that Solomon says happen. I'll, I'll give you three because they're right in the text. First of all, uh, Solomon says in verse number 12 that you'll end up being joyful. And the word joyful there actually is the word thankful. And it has the idea, it's an infinitive. It's not necessarily something passively that happens to you. It's something that you actively participate in. When you are secure in the sovereignty of God, that God has the best possible thing for you in your life, you know what ends up happening? You end up actually truly being thankful for the life that God has given you, including the limitations God has placed you under. I've been open about this. You all know this. I have asthma. In the next month or so, I'm going to look pretty miserable. My eyes are going to be puffy. My throat always going to feel like it's closed. My lung capacity dropped from 65 to almost below 50. It's a miserable experience. And it doesn't matter how much medication I take. That's just what's going to happen. Now, I could spend my, the rest of my life being bitter and angry with God that he's given me this limitation. Or I could say, you know what, God, that's great. Because now I don't talk all the time. And I can't just do whatever I want to do. Man, that, that, as soon as I accepted that reality, my entire life changed. 
And I was able to thank God for the way he made me. When was the last time you thanked God for your limitations? When was the last time you looked yourself in the mirror and said, God, I know I'm not perfect, but I thank you for making me the way I am. Because when you begin to praise and thank the Lord for how he made you, notice the progression. You go from being being grateful and joyful to doing good as long as you live. In other words, the progression is this. When you begin to thank the Lord for how he made you, how he created you, then you are in a place where you can do the maximum amount of good that he has designed for you to do, even in your weakness. Isn't that glorious? That God desires to use us? It's right here in the text. You now are in a position to do good in the lives of the people around you because you fully accepted what God has done in your life. And notice the last little bit. He says that right after that, in verse number 13, that now you're able to truly enjoy all the things that God has given you. Man, imagine that. You know, I know a lot of very wealthy people who are miserable. I know a lot of people of means who are very miserable. And as one scholar described it, it's almost like God gave them the best toy car possible, but took away all the batteries. I love that illustration for this one reason. It's true. Doesn't matter how much you have. Doesn't matter uh, if you got the degree you want. Doesn't matter if you have the job you want. Doesn't matter if you get all the accomplishments you want. You'll never truly be satisfied until you learn to be satisfied with how God made you and the place he has you in your life. Augustine says it like this, that our hearts were meant for the Lord and our hearts can find no rest until they find their rest in him. Man, that's a powerful statement by Augustine. And it jives with the text of scripture because in here we see Solomon saying the same thing. Look, if you want to have joy, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to have satisfaction, if you want to have comfort in your life, if you want to be in a place where you have contentment in your life, if you want to be in a place where you're being a blessing to other people, if you're going to be in a place where you're just satisfied with everything you have, then you have to come to a place where you are satisfied with the way God has designed you and created you to be a blessing to others. How you doing? How you doing? Are you there yet? Now here, here's what I have to say real quick. You don't have to be there yet. yet. You don't. You say, Pastor Dennis, why do you say that? Well, that gets me to the next point. And it's an awesome point. It's in verse number 14 through 15. And, and here's the thing. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Then I'm going to real quick explain to you what it is. Because if you just read it, it, it's like, what is he saying? Now, remember, the question that I posted to you was this. Look, how do you get to a place or how do we know that if we're not satisfied with the way God made us, how do we know that God's still going to be good to us? Well, verse number 14 and 15 is essentially saying God will be faithful even when we're not faithful. Notice what it says. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. He's talking about the enduring reality of God's faithfulness in our lives. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. In other words, we we give God glory as a result of it. 
that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. If you just read that, you're like, well, what is that saying? Well, it's talking about the faithfulness of God. You say, Pastor Dennis, I'm not convinced. How do you know that? Well, turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 9. Because he says virtually the same thing in this verse. He says this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Pause for a moment. Here he's making a crucial point. He's saying this. In our quest for obtaining that which is new and exciting, we need to come to the place where where we realize that there's nothing new and exciting. Our quest for always going after the next thing, eh, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But he makes the same point in chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, but he applies it differently. You see, in, verse, in chapter number 1, it's from our perspective, right? There's nothing new under the sun from our perspective. But in chapter 3, he's looking at it from God's perspective, and here's what he's saying. The reason why there's nothing new under the sun is because God is immutable. And his immutability, meaning he never changes, makes his faithfulness a blessing in your life. Do you see that? Do you see how glorious that is? In other words, do you see that even when you are going through hard things and you're not necessarily being as faithful as you need to be, God is still faithful? Do you see the reality of when you're going through hard seasons? That, by the way, and let me say this, isn't it, isn't it glorious, isn't it glorious that we go through seasons in community? Isn't that a glorious reality? Because one of the things I love about being a part of a church, especially this church, is there's, there's multiple generations. And all of us are going through different seasons. And, and I'm going through a season now that some people have already been through, and I'm going through a season now that some people are getting ready to go through. And we're all going through these seasons in community. And it's a beautiful thing. And to see God's faithfulness among all the generations in community being played out, that's what Solomon is saying in this verse, verse 14 and 15, that if you look at the march of history, if you look at even our church, and see the various generations that are going on, you see God's faithfulness being played out in community. And this is actually very practical. I have a very, very good friend was telling me that they they went from one child to two child. And by the way, the, 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 the switch from one child to two child is infinitely greater than going from like five children to ten children. I believe that. Like one to two? Man, whoo! Right? And, and he was telling me that as they were going through the season, it was a particularly difficult season, and they went to church, and they dropped their kids off to the nursery, and, and uh, they came back to pick up their children, and, and he said, hey, how did they do? Is, is, did, did they do well? Is everything going well? And there was a lady there that said something to the effect of them, like, hey, look, they were, they were doing well. You guys, I know this might be a difficult season, but you're going to make it through this season. And, and you know what? Your children are going to make it through this season. 
and it's going to be okay. Some of you need to hear that today. You might not necessarily have children that you're struggling with, but man, you're going through a difficult season. And one of the blessings about being in community is you have people around you that see your struggle and can walk up to you and say, hey, I know this is a hard season in your life right now. I know you're going through some very difficult things, but you know what? I've, I've passed through it. I know people that have passed through it. God will be faithful. And there's some of you that are struggling with a sin. I don't know the sin that you're struggling with. Could be bitterness. Could be unforgiveness. Could be the sin of pornography. Man, it could be all sorts of sin. You're sitting there thinking, is how, how is God going to bring me through this sin? How is God going to deliver me from this sin? And when you read this, you read that he is faithful. He will do it. He'll bring you through the season. There's some of you going through a particularly difficult season with your health. And you know that you have to rest on the sovereignty and goodness of God in order to bring you through this. Some of you inside, you're struggling with infertility. Some of you inside your day are struggling with depression. Some of you inside your day are struggling with all manner of things. And you think, man, this is a hard season in my life. Depression, it doesn't matter what it is. The blessing of verse 14 and 15 that Solomon wants to tell each and every one of you inside here today is this. God is faithful even when you're not. And he will drag you through that season because he is far better to us than we can ever imagine. And you know where this is seen more than anything else? In Christ. In Christ. Charles Spurgeon um, wrote a sermon on 2 Timothy 2.13, and he entitled the sermon this, Eternal Faithfulness Unaffected by Human Unbelief. Man, I love that title. You know why I love that title? Because God is unaffected by my foolishness. God stands unaffected by my unbelief. He stands unaffected by my failures. He stands unaffected by by the various times in my life where I doubt him. And if you have an opportunity, I highly recommend you read through that sermon. God's faithfulness is unaffected by us. And that's seen in Christ for this reason. You know, Christ, when he was with his disciples, one of the last things he said to them was, "I uh, I have loved you who are in the world, and my love towards you will endure. That's a sign of his faithfulness towards you, Christian. Believe that. Trust in that. Revel in that. Because from season to season, it gets hard. And you make mistakes, and you're going to fail. And the only thing that's going to pull you through that season is God's faithfulness toward you, not your faithfulness. And Christ proved that. When he died for you and I, there was no way we could be faithful in that moment. We were sinners, lost. And yet he faithfully went to the cross. And even after that, he has faithfully been with you as the mediator, mediating on your behalf. Man, what a glorious thought that Christ is in heaven right now, sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for all of us through every season in our lives. Man, that's hope.
That gets me up in the morning. And I hope it does you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. What, what powerful words and reminders by Solomon that you are faithful. And your faithfulness endures for all generations because you are a generational God. Father, I thank you so much for that reality. Lord, be with your people in here today. We, there are so many of us that are going through seasons that are difficult and hard and that are a struggle. And I, I want to acknowledge that there are many of us going through seasons where it's a good season and you're blessing. Regardless of what season we're in, Lord, help us to be reminded that you are sovereign, that you know exactly what we need in this season, and that you're faithful, that we might endure it. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.